Are you ready to make 2017 the year you transform your life? You can wait for something to happen, or you're actually going to decide to go, go home after this weekend to do something about that. We all know that we have a very, very limited amount of time on this earth. So let's not have repeated years. Live your own life. Make the choice, make the decision for your own life. Fear is where you develop courage. There's a moment going, holy crap, all right, I'm gonna do this now. The wellness breakthrough is coming. And so you actually have that choice every single morning, every single day, every single moment to decide whether you're gonna live it to the fullest or not. Join myself, Marcus Pierce, and the wellness guys, Damien Christoph, Lawrence Tam, and Brett Hill for two nights and three days of transformation at the country place. 10 acres of breathtaking rainforest in the Dandenong Ranges of Victoria, February 17th to 19th. It's each and every single one of you are gonna support each other in your journey, whatever that journey is. Couples discounts available, limited spots remaining for all information and to watch the spine chilling video, go to thewellnessbreakthrough.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food reel with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. Hi team and welcome back to The Real Food Real. Today on the show we are joined by Leanne Vogel, a holistic nutritionist from Healthful Pursuit. Leanne is also the host of the Keto Diet Podcast and she joins us today to talk all things real food and ketosis. Hi Leanne and thanks for joining the show. Hey Steph, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so it's um, great to have you on the show. And as it's your first time joining us, I'd love you to set the scene and share your story with our listeners. Yeah, you bet. I'll try to condense it because you know how stories, especially when you've been on like a real food uh, journey for such a long time, it can get quite kind of complex. Um, so how I kind of started down this path is I struggled with an eating disorder for many years, uh, bulimia and anorexia. And one of my friends recommended that I study nutrition. And so I went down the dietetics route until I realized that you could study more of a whole food based approach, which is holistic nutrition. So I studied holistic nutrition while also being a vegan. And then learning through my education that Perhaps vegan wasn't the best for my body. I was really sleepy, never had enough energy. I was always hungry. I had to eat one or two, like every one or two hours, which was really hard to do with my work schedule and studying. So I switched over to eating uh, animal proteins and um, at the same time quitting birth control. And when I quit birth control, the doctors said, you know, my period should come back and like, maybe six months and then six months passed and it still hadn't come back. And then, okay, well maybe it takes a year and a year passed. It hadn't come back. 
Then five years passed and it hadn't come back. And I was starting to get really frustrated. My bone density was pretty low. Um, my sex drive was nil. Um, or just all these things like my body was getting like it was just shaped weirdly. Uh, and I had a really hard time with um, headaches and things like that and attention span. So I went to an endocrinologist who put me on hormone replacement therapy. And it made me gain a lot of weight really quickly in all these weird places. And I wasn't used to it. I was craving different foods that I had never liked before. So I met with a naturopath and she recommended a low carb diet. And at first I was thinking, oh my gosh, I'm not going to eat like low carb bars with like, you know, this crazy sweeteners and Splenda and Diet Coke. Like I'm not doing that. And it just so happened that night when I was laying in bed, somebody that I follow used hashtag keto. And I was like, keto, what is a keto? And I looked it up and that's how I found the keto diet. And I purchased Jimmy Moore's book, uh, Keto Clarity, read through that, decided, oh my gosh, I have to give this a try. So that was July 2014. And I became keto, I lost 20 pounds very quickly. um, And then realized that the standard ketogenic approach after a couple of months of fasting all the time, restricting a lot of what I was eating, I started having a lot of sleepless nights, my energy was waning, I still hadn't got my period back, although my hormones looked better on paper and my blood tests. um, They weren't like I wasn't getting my period. And that was a big deal for me because it had been so long. So I said, screw this, (laughs) I'm gonna, you know, make my own rules. I know that fat makes me feel really good. I'm totally fat adapted, but how can I make this eating style work for me? Uh, 2014, it would have been October 2014. I adapted my own ketogenic diet. And within nine months, I got my first period in over eight years. So that kind of set the stage of me coming up with a fat fueled program, speaking with thousands of women about their experience on a standard ketogenic protocol and compiling what I now call is the fat fueled living and how I've structured um, my programs fat fueled and my balanced keto meal plans and now my upcoming paperback the keto diet to really start the conversation around the ketogenic diet is great and here's the standard protocol but if that doesn't work for you or that feels too restrictive here's this other one that helped me get my hormones back online um, start ovulating again uh, you know, build up my sex drive, have like awesome energy and positive outlook and no restriction because that can come when you start playing around with counting macros and tracking. So it's been a really, really amazing, exciting journey. Yeah, such a cool story. And there's so much I want to sort of break down um, within that. Um, yeah. But just to start from the top, could you give us your view on how, what the standard keto approach is and then how you've adapted that to be more specific for females. Yeah, definitely. So the standard keto approach, um, so ketogenic is a low carb, high fat eating style. And the very, very base, like the standard approach is eat, you know, maybe 20 grams of carbs, total carbs per day. That's kind of where you want to be. And your macros should be anywhere from like, 75% fat. That's usually like the standard with 5% um, carbohydrates and 20% um, protein anywhere, like anywhere around those macros and dairy is completely on the table. And the standard approach usually 
doesn't pay attention to the quality of the ingredients. Although there are leaders in the low carb, you know, ketogenic space who use whole foods, the basic approach is just like, eat all the eggs and the cheese and the sausage and don't really care about the quality of foods. Like if you follow any of the stuff on Reddit or things that people are eating using hashtag keto, it's a lot of processed, low carb stuff. So that's kind of the base of the ketogenic diet. Um, and then there are forms, you know, different forms, like people using whole foods and, you know, more vegetables or less processed foods. Um, and then another approach is what I've always done as a dairy free approach, because I d- can't do dairy, it gives me really bad acne, horrible stomach pains, headaches, it's just bad. Um, so that's kind of how I started with was a whole foods approach um, without dairy, um, and really looking at less processed foods. So no like sugar substitute, you know, when it comes to Splenda, aspartame, that kind of thing. Um, and then more of my fat fueled approach is looking at the ketogenic diet in more of five different phases. So you can kind of choose which path you want to go on depending on your body. So like, let's say that you are a cancer survivor, or you have cancer, your ketogenic diet is going to look completely different than say a woman that has hypothyroidism. So within the ketogenic diet, the way I see it, and the way I've structured my programs is there's more of a low carb, high fat approach that's standard using whole foods. And then once you're adapted, if you wish to, you can do something called carb ups. So these carb ups are using whole food ingredients. So things like sweet potatoes, um, any sort of squash, if you can do fruit, and that feels good in your body, you can use those. And it can vary anywhere between once a week to every day. So where I would recommend somebody do these, you know, small carb ups where you're eating these carbs in the evening, um, are, are people like that have hypothyroidism, whereas somebody that has PCOS who's sensitive to, you know, insulin ups and downs, I would say like carb ups aren't the best for your body, or they may not be the best for your body. So you may be better off doing, you know, one carb up anytime you need it. Um, with this approach and using carb ups, it, it kind of sets the stage of a no limits approach to keto because I know from myself and having a history of an eating disorder and then orthorexia and disordered eating, knowing that it's okay to have carb ups or to have carbs when I need it. Say I'm out with my sister and she wants to order pizza. You know, I'll choose a gluten-free dairy-free pizza, but I'm not going to say, no, I can't go out with you because you're going to eat pizza. You know, so just it allows us to live and it allows us to continue on our eating style. And then the other approach for people that really don't do good with carbs, but find like they need something else on their ketogenic diet um, are things like are is more of a higher protein approach to keto. So that can be just eating more protein. So like we said, the macros for a standard ketogenic approach is like 75 fat, 75% fat, rather 5% carbs and 20% protein, we would go upwards of say 35% protein, switching out some of the fat for protein. So just, you know, setting the stage for more of a conversation around what feels good in your body um, is a lot different than the standard approach of just eat as little amount of carbs as possible. It doesn't matter the quality. So my message is the quality totally matters. (laughs) And within that, there are a bunch of different options that you can do to have to allow this eating style, this powerful eating style to work for your body. 
Yeah, I think that's so important because keto can, I think, certainly feel or at least initially look quite challenging, you know, because to get 20 grams a day can be limiting things like non-starchy veggies, which I'm not a massive fan of unless, of course, it's quite short-term. Um, so I'll get your thoughts on that in a moment. But what I wanted to clarify with um, that your approach, like I love that you've got that ability to personalise underneath the keto umbrella. So that's amazing. But how do you still call it ketosis if the carb-ups um, – affect someone's metabolic profile? Totally. That's a great question, Steph. So, okay. So there's a couple of ways to look at it. The first is if let's say that you have a massive imbalance to your health and going keto disrupts that a lot. Like let's say you go three days, maybe, I don't know, anxiety becomes very, very heavy when you go low carb and you just you just can't eat low carb. Your anxiety gets so bad that you can't go to work. You can't get out of bed, um, that sort of thing. So that's why um, it's nice to have those carb ups just to allow people to, you know, get into the groove of eating high fat, low carb throughout the day. But having those carbs at night can be really helpful for people. Um, and then let's say, you know, you're able to do the low carb, high fat thing and you can adapt. Once you're fat adapted, once your body knows that fat is its primary fuel, it can jump back and forth into burning, you know, sugar really quick, and then going back to fat burning quite effortlessly. And that's something that I discovered, you know, in the first couple of days of eating keto, if you were to or first couple of weeks, even if you were to eat carbohydrates, you know, say you have a sweet potato for lunch, at dinner time, you're gonna be like, Oh, my gosh, I need another sweet potato. Oh, my gosh, because your body's confused of what fuel it prefers. But say, you know, weeks and months down the road, you've been burning fat efficiently, you are a fat burner, like that is what your body does. When you have, you know, that sweet potato, your body switches right back into fat burning mode. And your body's able to do that because it builds up the metabolic processes in order to uh, burn through that carbohydrate really quickly and then go back into fat burning because while you're adapting in a ketogenic diet, a lot of people experience keto flu and they have like that incessant need to just eat all the carbs because <laughs> your body's used to eating carbs. So it's like, where is the fuel at? I don't yeah. burn fat as energy. I burn carbs. So once your body, you know, that switch, like this goes into how, how to know that you're fat adapted when you switch into fat adaption, you can skip meals without getting angry. You can go like easily go three, four, five hours without a snack. And when you're hungry, you crave fat, you don't crave carbs. So in that carb up state where you're having just a touch of carbs at night, like I'm not telling people to like down a bunch of donuts or have cupcakes or anything mm. like that. It's just like have a sweet potato with your meal. And what happens is and what I notice is that my leptin and ghrelin balance out real well after a carb up that the next day in the morning of a carb up, I can fast all the way until dinner easily. And so this can be really great also for athletes who want to do more of that fasted state in the morning. If they do a carb up in the evening and then hit the gym in the morning, they can run, do whatever they need to do in a fasted state and actually boost their ketones. So I hope that answers your question. It's just a matter of 
when you're fat adapted and your body knows how to burn fat, it uses up those carbohydrates and switches right back into fat burning mode super fast and efficiently and can actually boost your ketones overall because it encourages fasting with that level out uh, leptin and ghrelin. Yeah, I totally agree. And we talk about that metabolic efficiency so much with, you know, both my, you know, my, my clients, but here on the show, because when you're a sugar burner, what people don't understand is that you've only got one option. So all you can do is burn sugar. But the, the reason why we call it metabolic efficiency and the reason why it's efficient is because you can still access those carbs, but of course you can burn fat and that can be your predominant fuel, which is obviously what we're trying to achieve for the majority of the time. But we know that the benefits of being able to, you know, still consume whole food carbs and use that fuel for, say, the glycolytic activity, the high-intensity interval training or certain um, key sessions that our triathletes might do on the wind trainer or whether it's a time trial, like that's where it's super important. So I totally agree with you about that nighttime intake. And a lot of my athletes do do that, particularly on, you know, a Friday or a Saturday evening where what they've got programmed the next morning is a long session where they want to be able to do two or two and a half hours fasted. So I love that answer. Yeah, it's great. And 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 I forgot to touch on just a little bit with the ketones is like when you're fat adapted and you've gone through a ketogenic diet, say for 14 days before you have your first carb up, that next morning you're going to register ketones. Like that's how quickly it happens unless you eat like a ton of carbs, like way more than your body needs. Then it might take you all day the next day to get back into ketosis, mm-hmm. but you can still be in ketosis, have your carb up, you slide kind of out of ketosis for a second, like maybe a couple of hours in the morning, you're going to register ketones again. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. And that shows how important the initial adaptation phase is. And, you know, I have a similar experience with my athletes. Like if they just start on what is my approach and they have, you know, a slip up or they travel, like that will certainly cause a regression. And sometimes it might even set them back, you know, four days. But if the same thing happens two, three, four months into their journey, it's a blip on the radar. Like they get straight back into their fat burning state. Um, they certainly don't gain any weight or experience that blood sugar roller coaster. So I think that's a really important point to clarify because it totally depends on where you are at in your journey and as a result where your metabolism is at. Totally. And it can also bust through plateaus. So if you're, I'm sure you've seen this with your clients, they're like pushing through, eating the same thing every day, trying to lose weight or trying to get the results they need. And all they need is to like, boost up their calories, like sometimes even double them or, you know, fast one day or have a carb up and then all of a sudden their plateaus busted and they get to their next phase of their approach. So it's a really cool tool to to have in your tool belt anyway. Yeah. Also just obviously trying to prescribe or I guess tweak what is a real food approach or an LCHF approach to be a little bit more personalized. Like I think what you're doing there with the streams that you have in terms of, um, a standard keto and then you've got the high protein and so on is really important because everyone's so different. And I'm of the belief that, you know, the original keto program was very much targeted at at quite sedentary people. So it changes a lot as we get more active. Do you agree? Oh, totally. Yeah. And 
I mean, if your doctor has told you, especially as an epileptic child, that you need to be ketogenic, there's kind of just like one approach to that. And you have to register ketones and you can't do the carb ups and you got to be really careful with the protein. But for people that are wanting to do this for more of a lifestyle, if you have a hectic schedule, you know, like in the case of me, like if you're writing a book, you're your diet's completely going to change and you're going to have to do a different type of keto in order to fuel that. If you're, you know, running every day or lifting really heavy weights, like it has to change. It, it, it has to change. And your body is so, so different each body. So you really have to be open to just creating something that feels good for you. Yeah, absolutely. And there is that intuitive eating that we always talk about the magic word intuition. Um, but I wanted to get your thoughts on, um, just a, a clarification about the evening. Like, is the reason why you recommend the carb up in the evening so as to not affect the blood sugar throughout the day? Yeah. So yeah. there's so many, like, so the train of thought, I know like what I learned in school is you have carbohydrates in the morning yeah. to, so that you don't, uh, what was it? it? It made no logical sense. Don't eat carbs at night because they'll turn into fat. Well, oh, like know, but- that doesn't even make any sense you know like, who we have to thank for that though like that's the oprah winfrey thing isn't it like i remember like yes years, it is years ago don't eat carbs after three and i still get asked this question like at least once a week to this day <laughs> i know i know it's crazy or like don't eat past five o'clock because you'll gain weight most of the food actually that i eat not to digress but most of the food that i eat is at night like mm. i don't eat much during the day i have a huge meal at night and i'm good so i mean it's it's really about like you said, creating something that feels good. And, and with the carbs in the evening, one of the big reasons is because yeah, those blood sugar highs and lows, if you have carbs first thing in the morning, you're going to want carbs for snack and carbs for lunch and carbs for snack and carbs for dinner and then have a dessert. Whereas at night, if you have carbs, you're going through that high and low while you're sleeping. And all Also, what I didn't know until I was researching um, for the book and writing one of the chapters on why carb up at night and why carbs at night, your body actually burns, um, increases carbohydrate burn about four hours before you wake up. So it's actually burning more carbohydrates. Those four hours before you wake up, up to about an hour before you wake up, it uses that fuel a lot quicker than it does when you're awake. So that's pretty cool. (laughs) I love knowing that. So yeah, those are those are one of the those are two of the top reasons. And then also that leptin ghrelin reset. Mm. I mean, if you've been eating low carb, high fat for a couple of weeks, and you have a carb up, I would love to hear from you and see how you feel the next morning. Because nine times out of 10, you'll be like, Oh, my gosh, I can fast no problem. I'm not even hungry. It's so cool. Oh, I totally agree. And not to mention, again, we come back to that allows it to be really balanced. Because, you know, keto for a lot of people i know jimmy moore and co do really well on it a their males um and b it's obviously got a lot to do with the individual's metabolic health so yeah not everyone feels like it's sustainable beyond you know a couple of weeks totally and the nutrition piece plays a role um and i mean it's different for everyone but when i was doing the super super low carb thing and this ties into your piece about you know the vegetable intake Mm. I mean I was counting my kale and in order to stay under 20 grams of carbs I could have like half a leaf of kale (laughs) in one of my meals (gasps) and I'm like weighing out this kale I'm like my life can't be like this I totally agree yeah I can't and resistant starch like 
there was a period when I was um, keto between July and that October where when I decided to eat like a little bit of starch, my stomach, the first thing I had was like a quarter piece of a potato. And my stomach was not happy with it. Mm. Like, I was so bloated and horrible. And um, over time, I've started to build up my resistant starch intake. And my belly is a lot more balanced than it was when I was in that period. So I think there's something um, with that too, and, and your gut balance and making sure that, you know, you're having foods that not only make you feel good, but also benefit your body. And for me personally, counting my kale and not having starches ever just didn't resonate. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because I wanted to talk to you about resistant starch because that's another one of my bugbears with keto is that, you know, what you don't then have is the uh, a lot of good food for your bacteria and nearly all of us know how important gut health is. So what are your recommendations around resistant starch and can you touch on the importance of that? Yeah, you bet. I'm not like totally in with the resistant starch and know all of the things about it. I know that when I have resistant starch, it makes my um, belly feel a lot better. So I've kind of come up with a protocol that I like to follow for overall gut health. Um, And one of those aspects is resistant starch. So at first, when I was building up my um, resistant starch ability to take on a little bit more was that I was using um, potato starch. So it was like, I started off with a quarter teaspoon. That's all I could handle, like put in water and swished around. And then I would drink that in the evenings. Um, And now I can do like at least a tablespoon um, if I do that approach. But now I'm more into like during my carb ups, I will um, boil some potatoes and then put them in the fridge and then heat them up just a little bit the next day. So you get that like gummy stuff and that can be Um, super helpful for the gut. And then I pair that with soil based probiotics, which are I have at least one fermented food, like in a meal if I can. So I'm having at least two to three fermented foods in a day. Usually my go to's are like sauerkraut or like actually fermented pickles. Um, I do an amazing like water kefir. So it kind of touches on all the pieces. But I think the conversation in the low carb community and more of the hardcore low carb community is that you can attain all of that um, through a ketogenic diet and that a ketogenic diet can actually be quite gut healing, which I agree with that. Like it takes away a lot of the gut irritants, including grains, if you go that route. Um, but yet a lot of keto people like the standard keto protocol doesn't really remove grains, but any of the you know sugar and stuff you're removing and they have prebiotic foods, but um, the resistant starch is definitely missing from from that protocol, which is another benefit to having those carb ups. If you focus on more of the resistant starch foods, like you have the green plantains, which are really good and potato starch, tapioca starch, like you could make gravy with that and add that in or pre-cooked potatoes and heat that up. So you can, you can get more goodness out of your meals while also doing all the awesome other awesome things that carb ups can do. So. Yeah. Amazing. And I'm glad you mentioned those examples. I mean, I think cooked and cooled, um, potatoes are one of the most simple options. Um, but just to clarify for our listeners, that resistant starch, it literally means that it resists digestion. So it passes through the stomach and small intestine. Um, and that means that you're not getting the same insulin response and blood sugar impact that other carbohydrates may create. But the really important message is that these this starch is really important to nourish your gut bacteria. So 
certainly something to factor in for those that are doing LCHF or keto without any resistant starch. Um, it would be a really good change to make. Yes. Thank you for adding that. Perfectly yeah, said. Beautiful. Um, so I wanted to go back to fruit. I've just got one sort of last question on the carb up and your thoughts there. So, I mean, obviously fruit is real food, um, but I think, you know, at least in Australia, it's quite common to, to overeat, to have, you know, more than two pieces a day and to still think that's really hungry, uh, sorry, healthy. <laughs> um, Which makes I, you hungry, yeah, so fair yeah, enough. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but what I was going to say is what are your thoughts on having fruit earlier in the day, even if it's combined with like quite a high-fat meal and what are you, what's your advice on that? Yeah, so – um, a year ago, I would have said that's crazy talk. But yeah. um, lately, I've actually been uh, including like a handful of berries sometimes in my um, dairy free yogurt, which is like unsweetened fermented forever. Because um, I find the unsweetened yogurt that's fermented forever actually tastes horrible unless you add something to it. And I've been experimenting with not using any sweeteners, not even stevia or xylitol or anything. So having that handful in my eyes, Having that handful of berries um, along with a high fat meal is is fine for me um, and could be fine for others. But what I'm what I'd like to differentiate is there's a huge difference between a handful of berries and a flat of berries or like uh, overripe banana or a pineapple. Like those are very different things. Are going to have very different um, results. I could see you know having maybe a overripe banana or banana even. After a really hard workout, yeah. um, say you were at a workout in the morning and, you know, maybe 30 minutes after your, your workout, you have a banana and then you wait a little bit and then you have or you would have your protein shake with that or whatnot. And then you would wait a little bit, maybe a couple of hours and then have a high fat meal. I see nothing wrong with that. When I was lifting and training, I did that all the time when I when I lifted in the morning and I was back into ketosis by dinner time. So it really depends again, like where you are on your ketogenic journey, but, um, it's very easy to overdo fruit. But I think if you use fruit as, um, a means to help fuel your body, like in the case of working out and then having fruit to have that bit of carb to help build up muscle and support yourself. Um, or in the case of, if you just have, you know, there's days where I'm making a salad, I'm like, this salad would be better with strawberries. And so I add like maybe four strawberries. I think it's just, you know, not making a habit of like, oh, well, I have strawberries, so I'll just add them. Or I have mango, so I'll just add it. Like ask yourself, is this what you feel like? And also do berries or mango or whatever feel good in your body. Um, you know, I'll have maybe half a mango during a carb up and that's fine. But if I have it halfway through the day and I haven't worked out, I'm just not going to feel very good. Yeah. So I think fruit can be used to your benefit. But um, I mean, when I was vegan, I have pictures on my Instagram from forever ago. And every morning I would start off with a huge bowl of fruit, like a salad bowl of fruit <laughs> and hemp seeds. And then I drizzle it with honey. Oh my gosh. And then I would go to like a two hour yoga class. And after yoga, I would drink a smoothie. And I was so hungry all the time and just cranky and moody. And so there, there's a fine, like there's a balance for fruit, but yeah, I, no, I agree. I think that's a, a good answer because it's so individual again. Um, and it's more about just paying attention to what works for you. And obviously the, the timing's huge. Like, all of my athletes know that the best time to eat their carbs is like outside of a carb up is like post training. So they're not going to impact their 
insulin levels, but to still pay attention to how much they can include um, and still get, you know, five or more hours of satiety out of that meal. Totally. I mean, my muscles really love having a banana like right after a workout with a shake. I don't know, like I just, I can't, it's crazy the difference. And as soon as I incorporated, you know, a little bit of fruit right after my workouts, it was like night and day. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, opening up your mind to the fact that fruit can be quote unquote bad if you're having huge bowls like I was, but you know, having that timed approach can actually benefit your training and your body and your health overall. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. Um, okay. So I just wanted to touch on, um, uh, like, I guess a, a slight digression, but, um, you know, we talk a lot about becoming fat adapted or I use the term metabolic efficiency, as I mentioned before. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on how someone might know that they're there or what are the signs they can use to start to learn about the change that the metabolism is going through. Yeah, you bet. So, A really easy way that a lot of people do on a ketogenic diet is test their blood, breath, or urine. Um, All of them are pretty expensive except for the urine, but it can be pretty um, inefficient. Like if you're actually fat adapted and using ketones, you're probably not going to register ketones in your urine because that's a way for your body to kind of dump ketones. So once it figures out that it can burn ketones, it's going to stop dumping it into the urine. I personally really enjoy blood testing if you're going more of the ketogenic route. You just like prick your finger like you would, you know, the blood glucose stuff that you see diabetics doing. Um, That's one way. Or they have a thing called ketonics, which you can test your breath. But if you don't even want to entertain the idea of poking your finger or breathing into a thing or testing your urine because that's just too much for you, or maybe you're doing more of a low-carb, high-fat thing where you're not really um, pushing toward ketosis or anything like that, there are a couple of signs that you can just look for on a daily basis to kind of know that your body's starting to use fat as fuel. And I mentioned the first two the, a little bit earlier, the fact that you're able to skip meals without getting angry. Like I know, you know, at the beginning of the podcast, we were talking about how I had to eat every two hours. And if, if I didn't get that meal, if I, if, if I, felt like it was going to be another 30 minutes, even if it was going to be another 15 minutes until I could eat, I would get hangry, like just get out of my way, give me whatever I need, (laughs) like just angry about not being able to eat. So if you are like that right now, and you get hangry very easily, um, a good sign that you're becoming fat adapted is the fact that you're able to skip meals and not want to punch somebody in the mouth for getting in the way of your meal. So (laughs) that is a very real thing for a lot of people. And then the second one I mentioned is that it's easy to go three, four, five hours without having a snack. So if you can go between lunch and dinner without having a snack, ah, like you're on your way. It's so good. Um, And then the third one, you don't get ravenous or crave carbs two to three hours after a meal. So if you've had breakfast And then, you know, three, four hours later, you're maybe a little bit hungry. And the first thing you think of is, oh, I'd like some brisket. You know, like that's a good indication. Uh, The fourth is that you crave high fat foods over high carb foods. So, you know, a really great example is I get very snacky at night. It's just like my time that I like to unwind and have a snack. And it used to be that I would have like, some pineapple sprinkled with cinnamon or stuff that was like my go-to or like a protein thing with a bunch of berries in it. But now I'm just craving like a fat bomb or something. So that can be a good indication of you becoming fat adapted. The fifth is 
your exercises don't require carbs to push through plateaus. Um, I used to be a cyclist and a runner. Um, and I haven't entered, I haven't entered that world again since uh, balancing out my hormones because my body fat percentage, if it gets too low, I don't get my period anymore. So, but I could imagine if I were to be, you know, on a bike, I could go forever. Like I can hike forever and, and not need the gels and the, like I used to have dates and yeah. stuff in my, like just the constant eating while you're training. Um, so if you're able to exercise without that constant eating, awesome sign. Sixth is that you have copious amounts of energy. Um, so you can just go and go and go and you don't get tired. Uh, the seventh is that you experience steady, even energy throughout the day without those afternoon crashes um, that are so common in a carbohydrate fueled state. And then the eighth is that your thoughts seem lighter, clearer and concise. Um, so I, I can't describe it, but anyone that's ketogenic or low carb, high fat and, and more into the intuitive eating stuff, it's so much easier to listen to your body in this state. Like it's not muddled with a bunch of different things. Like I, I know when I've eaten not so good oils, my body tells me by inflaming my finger, like just one finger, it just starts to hurt. <laughs> so it's so crazy how, how more in touch you can be with your body, which is amazing if you're an athlete and you need to be that way. Yeah. Um, and even just your thoughts around work and looking at bigger pictures, like your brain just fires up. So that's another, that's the last indication that I would say you could look for um, yeah, well, so in order to know that you're fat adapted. That's so cool. Yeah. I love all of those. They're great signs, but the finger thing's interesting. Like, um, I think, you know, our body teaches us so much. Like I haven't eaten gluten for like over a decade, but if I ever accidentally get exposed to gluten um, when I'm eating out, just on the inside of my left elbow, I get this like really weird welt, welty kind what? of rash. Like it's in, the, it's in the one spot every single time. Yeah. Um, so and I've like cool. got like a permanent, really, really like subtle scar. And I'm like, that's my gluten sign. Like, I just think like we kind of lose sight of that. I mean, everyone's obviously different, but your body will tell you when you've eaten the wrong thing or even if you've eaten too many carbs like we've been talking yeah. about. So getting in touch with that is going to change your life. Totally change it. And yeah. then, you you know, like the restaurant we went to the other day, they were like, no, 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 we cook with like coconut oil. It's totally fine. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And about an hour later, I'm like, there's no way that they used coconut oil. They yeah. totally lied to me. <laughs> like that was soy oil or something because my finger was so inflamed, I could barely move it. So it's good because then you know like, hey, that restaurant didn't make me feel good or that meal didn't make me feel good. It just allows you, you know, some people would say that it's kind of a curse, um, you know, to know your body too well. But I think it's so powerful to just know and then make a decision. Like you may decide I I would never because gluten feels horrible in my body too, but you may decide like I'm okay with eating gluten. I know it's going to give me this rash and I know this and this is going to happen, but I'm okay with it. At least you know what your options are. Whereas before it's just like you're eating food, you're feeling horrible and you don't know what's causing what. Yeah. It's frustrating. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. I could seriously talk to you about this all day, but I want to hear about, I, <laughs> I want to hear about your new project. Tell us about, um, your really exciting book that's on the way. 
Yeah. Okay. So it's called Keto Diet and it's being published by Victory Belt. It comes out April 11th, 2017. Um, they've put together an amazing book tour for me as well. So you guys can find information about the book tour and the book by going to ketodietbook.com. And there's like a little area up there for book tour if there's any people in the US and Canada listening. Um, so the Keto Diet is a practical guide to eating fat and really ending the food obsession that we can get into by uh, approaching these diets with a one size fits all mentality. So I I wanted to write it because I have so much to say on this topic. And um, my first self published uh, programs, the keto beginning and fat fueled really delved into how to approach uh, the ketogenic diet for the first 30 days, how to make it personalized. But what neither of those programs do is um, talk about really food preparation, how to incorporate this into your life. So I wanted to add into my suite of awesome things that I've created so far by really talking about how to shed weight and heal your body and regain confidence while um, really focusing on how to make that easy in the kitchen. So there's over 125 recipes, there's meal plans for each of the different profiles that we were talking about earlier. So you can kind of see like, what does it look like to have a carb up once a week? What would I even eat? How does that even happen? Um, and then there's also how to like, you know, foods that might feel better in your body than others and how to look for keto foods at the grocery store. You know, if you're a drinker or a social drinker, I'm personally not, but I understand some people are how to choose alcohol that's going to um, not kick you out of ketosis uh, and and really how to prepare meals in a way that's going to save you time and restaurant guides. Um, yeah, so it's a pretty exciting project. It's taken over my life for the last <laughs> year. I'm so excited. It goes off to print very, very shortly um, and it'll be in stores all over um, starting April 11th and um, the pre order is is on until April 11th. So if you pre order the book, all you have to do is go to keto And if you scroll down about halfway down, um, there's a little bundle that I've put together for people that pre order the books, so you get like a savings guide, which has a ton of different coupon codes for all the keto things that are awesome. And they're exclusive, these companies put it together just for this, um, a food sensitivity guide. So Keto can get complicated if you're sensitive to nightshades or eggs or nuts or FODMAPs when that like FODMAPs are the keto diet. So I put together a food sensitivity guide and then a bunch of different recipes and a little short meal plan. And then people also get access to my private Facebook group, which has over 5,000 individuals in it who are so supportive and loving and amazing because I just find like we're talking about with the standard approach is like a lot of these groups and a lot of these things are just like, no, 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 you can't have this. This isn't keto. And then they kick you out of the group. And like, there's just, there's, there's, there needs to be a conversation around how the ketogenic diet can be helpful, but how it needs to be different. Just like vegan is different. Like there's so many different types of vegans and, you know, there's so many different types of people that eat gluten-free that can have grains or not have grains who are also sensitive to dairy, who can have yogurt, but not butter. And so that, there really needs to be a conversation around this. And that's really why I wanted to create um, the keto diet and really get people interested in it and um, really get this message out to more people than I can reach online. So it's really exciting. I'm, I'm really thrilled. It looks so awesome. Like so much practical advice over six months of meal plans. Yeah. Like you said, 125 or more than 125 recipes with simple ingredients and 
none of the artificial um, crap that we can sometimes see yeah, in keto none. recipes. <laughs> so you must be so proud of this. So what I'll do, team, is put all the links in the show notes where you can definitely follow Leanne at Healthful Pursuit and then head to ketodietbook.com to find out more. Leanne, it's been so awesome to chat with you and we'll have to get you back on the show very soon. I would love that. You're just a delight and I'm so happy that we got to do this. So I thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, amazing. So good to connect um, and best of luck getting the book off to to print. Um, And I'm sure you're feeling like a weight's been lifted off your shoulder getting that one done. Oh yeah, it's going to be the best. (laughs) (laughs) All right, take care and we'll chat soon. Thanks. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.